to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, crisis management, uh, COVID-19, emergency management, and anything that's associated with those topics. Speaking of topics, if there is anything you'd like us to talk about on the show or you'd like to be a guest, please feel free, reach out. You can go to the Voice America page for the show. There is a button underneath the graphics and the host an email. I do get all emails, and I do respond to everything. Also, if you'd like to talk about a product or service that you offer, please feel free uh, for any advertising. I can get you some information about that as well. And uh, with regards to, I think it's no secret, most conferences, if they're still going on, are now virtual. So I will be uh, still participating with the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto, October 7th and 8th. I'm doing a presentation for them. I will also be doing a a virtual presentation for BCI World uh, that was going to be in Birmingham, UK, November 5th and 6th. And unfortunately, there will not be a live broadcast this year from the Phoenix DRJ uh, conference um, simply for travel restrictions and, you know, the current pandemic. And I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road uh, for sponsoring today's show and their product, Boast Assessment. Now, let's jump into today's show. Uh, Our guest needs no introduction because uh, this is about our eighth or ninth talk now. And it's our continuing uh, talk about uh, COVID-19 or coronavirus. So I'd like to welcome back to the show, Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back. Alex, it's been such a long time. I think about a month, hasn't it? Almost uh, to the day, yes. <laughs> well, we, and we lots, have so of, many... lots of things have changed, right? <laughs> oh my goodness! It's uh, the, the last couple of days. I swear, things are. It's like the beginning again. Things are changing daily. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the mm-hmm. headlines are just. You know, you can't keep up with them again. So let's right. jump into right. let, let's jump into our COVID talk. Um, I guess it's safe to say we're not done. Are we done? Are we even close? <laughs> are we finishing phase one? You know, where do we stand right now? What What's happening? Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, I have only bad news to report. I can just say uh, certainly the country that I live in, the U.S., is, uh, is a mess. It's just an absolute mess. But I guess there's uh, comfort in company because we're not the only ones, I guess you could say. Brazil remains awful in conditions. So does India many parts of South America in addition to that. Uh, And, you know, as you know, we're approaching 14 million cases and our death toll is approaching 600,000. So I think from a perspective of where we are, it's it's just just leveling. And let me just give you a couple things for you to think about as far as the numbers that I just quickly rattled off to you. So first of all, let me just acknowledge and, and, and say that those are all people, right? We're talking about numbers, but remember, those are all people. Those are families. Those are people that have lost mm-hmm. their lives or have been seriously affected. And it's, it's a number, but I think it's always important for us to stop and reflect that there are people behind every one of those numbers and communities that have been really affected. Uh, right. Just to give you a sense of how 
our numbers have grown. It took us just 100 days, 100 days, for us to get to a million cases. But just reflect on that for a minute. We're 14 almost. It took us 100 days to get to a million. And then it took us just a short 10 days to get from 5 to 6 million. And it only took us 6 days to get from 8 to 9. So it just sort of gives you a sense about the sheer magnitude of the problem. And here in the U.S., uh, if you were to paint a poster child of a poorly managed pandemic, you would have to put us right in the center of that flag. Um, Just alone yesterday in Texas, California, and Florida, uh, they had over 30,000 cases in a day, just those three states. And that was 18% of the entire world's total. So it tells you where we are. We're just um, in really deep trouble. And I think that really gets back to your comment, Alex, or really your question, you know, are we done yet? And, and ultimately the answer is we're not done until the virus is done with us. Mm-hmm. And I know that you and I have spoken about this a lot, but your listeners need to really deeply understand that we are going to be in this situation until there's a vaccine. And so we are looking at, you know, to be honest, probably 18 months, uh, if we're lucky, before that really becomes a, a widespread experience for many people uh, in the world to have. But we're hearing that, uh, you know, from people on the news and, and government positions and things like that saying that, oh, we'll have something really quick. Is that not the case? <laughs> Well, you know, that's, I, I, I think the reporting on it is really painful. So, um, so, yes, there's about, oh, my gosh, there's probably 21 vaccines now that are all marching through their phased um, trials. And so Moderna, who's probably the name that's more familiar to your listeners, they are the one that uh, was out of the gate really rapidly. They're using a new technique for developing the vaccine. They are now about ready uh, maybe in the next uh, week or two, they'll start their phase three trials. And in phase three trials, what they'll be doing is they'll be having roughly between 35 to 70,000 people in those trials. And uh, those will be given to both, uh, you know, the real vaccine plus the placebo. And then they're going to um, expose those people just by, you know, go out and live your life and see if they actually become ill or not. Now, the vaccine just released, um, uh, Moderna just released its latest um, uh, study from the earlier trial, uh, which was human on phase one. And again, small group of people, less than 20. Uh, almost all of them had some reactions to the vaccine, which included things like pain at the injection site, which is, of course, very common, but also fevers, uh, myalgia, which is fatigue, and then also joint pain, uh, but no, uh, no serious life-threatening uh, side effects. Now, that was uh, further um, increased when they had the second shot because this particular vaccine is going to likely take two shots. So just think about that as far as logistics mm. and manufacturing and all of that. And so uh, their, their reactions really peaked with the second shot. But, um, yeah, so now then once they actually finish the third trial, which will be uh, probably September, then as they're already starting to manufacture uh, what's called manufacturing at risk. That's going to start in the next probably month. But then they have to manufacture 7.5 billion doses 
or however many they're going to, and then they've got to bottle it. They've got to get it to the distribution location. They have to find the nurses to administer it. They have to decide who gets it first. It's a complicated process. Well, that's that's interesting. You you mentioned that they you know the uh, test may be over in September, then they would start manufacturing. Would they not do some sort of a um, I'll use project management terms like lessons learned to find out what worked, what didn't work before they start manufacturing? Isn't there a lag in there no. somewhere? <laughs> well, you know, in the old days, prior to COVID nineteen, that was very common that you would go through all those trials, then you would analyze all that data. And then you would make some really hard determinations. But uh, the United States uh, and several other countries have made the decision that halfway through the phase three trials, assuming that, you know, they're not seeing people dying and things like that, um, they're going to start manufacturing what's called manufacturing at risk. So they're, they've already placed, the U.S. has already placed $1.5 billion, that's with a B, with a B, uh, orders with five different vaccine companies to tell them to, you know, you get to this point in the third trial, you haven't killed anybody or whatever the criteria is, then you start manufacturing. And the purpose behind that is they're trying to, you know, speed this up even more than they possibly could. Mm-hmm. So we're, so that's, go- go- governments and that, researchers, that, everybody, they're kind of accepting that risk that people, you know, not die, yeah. you know, not accepting the risk of die from the testing, but accepting the risk that, you know, there could be some major side effects. But couldn't those be yeah. potentially even more dangerous uh, further along the line, too, depending on who who's in the testing? Absolutely. And that's what's going to happen very much in the case, Alex. So the, is that mm. thirty to 75,000, whatever the number is, they're going to have all kinds of things that will happen, of course. I mean, remember the phase... The phase one trial was only 20 people. So at that point, then, we're going to see all kinds of things pop up, I'm sure. And um, the government has made a calculated risk that they would rather manufacture at risk rather than wait for the data to come back. Now, if the data comes back and the vaccine is either not safe or is not effective, it doesn't prevent people from getting the illness, then that will have been the $1.6 billion expensive, oh, my gosh, we shouldn't have spent that. But that's the price that they're willing to pay. Well, if that's in, huh? in the fall, in September, aren't they, is there going to be some sort of a conflict between uh, flu vaccines being made and required at that time as well? That's a great question. So uh, flu vaccines are already under production. So oh, okay. what happens is the way that the, the flu um, recipe, if you will, for a better, lack of a better term, is, is determined is that there's actually a body, a medical body that meets in the northern hemisphere that decides the flu uh, recipe for both the north, northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere. And they do that about six months apart. They approved the northern hemisphere dosage and the, the, the segments of the, vac- of the uh, influenza um, uh, strain that will be in this year's vaccine. They did that about two months ago. And the moment they approved it, it started production. So that's already happening. And the production for the oh, most part is okay. going to be complete probably by the end of August. And so you're going to start seeing vaccine in uh, the Northern Hemisphere around the world being available in early September. Yeah, because I know I've got to stop by my doctor's office or the pharmacist or somebody and get my flu shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, which I think right. and, and, and I'm 
and we all need that this year. And I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that, Alex, because this year, I mean, every year people need to get the flu shot. But historically in America, I don't know about Canada, but here in America, it's about 50% of the population that gets it. Do you have any sense of what you guys are in Canada? Are you guys better at getting the vaccine than we are? Um, to be honest, I'm not quite sure, but I do know there's a lot of people that say, you know, I'm not getting it because it makes you sick or you get the flu anyway. And so I, I would right. probably say it's the same percentage in the U.S. That would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, the hope, of course, this year is that many more people are going to get the vaccine because mm-hmm. uh, just imagine what's going to happen in the fall. You're going to have two viruses freely circulating in the population. And so when you start to get sick, you're going to be thinking like, oh, my gosh, you know, what do I have, right? Is it COVID? Is it the flu? And so uh, it's going to cause a lot of confusion in the general public. But then also it's going to put tremendous burdens on the healthcare system that are here at least in, in, San Francisco, or in California and in the United States already severely overwhelmed. So, um, and sometimes I'll tell you that in the U.S., a bad flu season can actually overwhelm health care. So if we have that in addition to COVID, it can be a very grim uh, winter. Well, I've, I think I heard, was it Florida? They're already out of intensive care uh, uh, available beds. Yes. They have nothing available. So yes. going yes. into the fall, yikes. That's a, yes, yes. And I mean, that's happening. We're having ICU shortages in several states, um, Florida, Texas. But also, actually, even in California, so in the north where we have uh, far few cases, they're actually shipping up patients uh, to the north, uh, which is, you know, 500 miles or more, you know, air, air, air moving them uh, to get the kind of care that they need because they've ran out of that capability in the south. So that ends up uh, putting a strain on other areas, right? All the, the mm-hmm. transportation, ambulances, uh, air ambulance, mm-hmm. um, or whatever term mm-hmm. they're used. Um, th- that mm-hmm. just puts a strain on other areas of the uh, uh, economy of daily life. Right, right. And I think that, I, and again, I don't know about in Canada, but here in the U.S., um, there was an interesting statistic that was released uh, just a few weeks ago, and it was about the idea of excess death. And let me explain that, because this, this is very likely to happen again in the fall. In the United States, uh, of course, we know our death toll on a monthly and daily basis in every state, uh, and have known that for many, many, many years. And so every year, they'll, they'll look at, you know, what is our excess death? So that means if we normally had 20,000 people, I'll make up a number, 20,000 people that died uh, in California. If all of a sudden we started to see in March, April, and May of this year that that death rate was actually much higher, maybe it was 10,000 more. And so then they say, okay, well, great. How many of those excess deaths, so let's say it's 10,000, was actually COVID? And they know that because of the tests. Well, it turns out that there was in the United States total 75,000 excess deaths that cannot be attributed at this point yet to covid and, and then, then normal. And what that means is that, I don't know if you experience this where you are, but here in the United States, there were many people that were not going to the hospital, but maybe they had mm-hmm. chest pain or maybe they had some other medical problem. And what they were are now starting to surmise is all those people who normally went to the hospital for those kinds of symptoms weren't going and they ended up dying at home. So the numbers could actually be bigger of those who passed away of COVID-19. Yes, absolutely. 
And so I think yeah. what that means is if you look at what could happen in the fall is that people are going to be fearful to go to that doctor again because of the increased cases of flu and COVID. And then may also then be more at risk with people that have high blood pressure, histories of heart attacks or strokes or other kinds of illnesses. So, you know, it's a complicated uh, problem uh, for the medical systems of any country to try and manage. And it's, it's a lot of it's based on fear, right? People are afraid to go to the doctor uh, and afraid to be potentially exposed to COVID. And so it becomes a, a pretty messy situation overall. Well, I, I guess the opposite could also be true. You know, with the fall coming, people may not want to go to the doctors, but then it could be because it's the fall and the flu season that everybody does rush to the doctor because they don't want to be, mm-hmm. you know, a new COVID-19 case. Right, right, right. I think it's going to be hugely problematic. And I'm I'm more hopeful that in the fall that people will be more willing to embrace things such as telemedicine so that if they're starting mm-hmm. to have issues or problems that they could reach out to a physician and get a telemedicine visit, which now since really since about March has really taken off here in the United States. And so I'm hopeful that perhaps people will avail themselves, assuming they have insurance and they have and their and their provider has that kind of uh, coverage that they could actually utilize that kind of service. So maybe they could get some assistance. But I think people are going to have to be super uh, aware of their health, their family's health. And again, this goes back to uh, why are we in such a mess? Is really because at least here in the United States, we have been very slow to embrace social distancing or physical distancing, as I prefer to say, wearing a mask, and, and really uh, appropriately managing our contacts with other people. Uh, yes, I've actually seen that with uh, regards to masks here in Ontario, um, the province I live in, and uh, basically right across the country now. You have to wear a mask in public. You know, sure, there mm-hmm. are dissenters, but, um, you know, uh, for the most part, right across the country, you know, every every store I've been to or uh, drive past, there's big signs. You can't come in here without a mask, period. And when you're walking down the street in your province, do you see that people actually are complying? Yes. Yeah, I see a lot That's of people. Great. You know, they, they may be in their cars, you know, get out of the cars without a mask, but you see them walking towards a store, putting on the mask, or it's in their hand, you see. You know, if you don't see them, put it on. Mm-hmm. But by the time they get to the, the front door or... <clears throat> or the mall entrance, whatever, everyone's got a mask, and that includes little kids. Of course, I, there are still some who complain about it. You know, we shouldn't have to do this, but really, you know, they're, they're the ones that are standing out like a sore thumb now. Mm-hmm. Well, that, and that's good. I think, the, the, I think in the U.S., the tide is starting to turn about that. There's still a lot of people that are protesting about, you know, their, their uh, you know, freedom. And, and some people have this really screwy idea that if you wear a mask that you retain more carbon dioxide, which is really crazy. Um, and so, yes, there's a lot of crazy people still in the U.S., but I think we're starting to turn the tide, which I'm, I'm hopeful for. And I will be honest with your listeners is that you – but we, I will say broadly, we, we will not solve this problem until we all embrace, till we have a vaccine, physical distancing mm-hmm. and wearing a mask. And, and you see that in, in places where they've opened up and people go back and they think that it's like, 
you know, it's like business as usual. It's like everybody turned 21 overnight or something. <laughs> the yeah, behavior yeah. that people use is crazy, right? It's just crazy. It and and I guess that people just keep thinking that something is going to happen and it's going to go away, but it is not going away. That's the key thing that people need to to really put in their mind. It is not going away, period. Yeah, I think people think it's like the uh, like a seasonal flu, where you get to some mm-hmm. point through the uh, through the winter months really, here in Canada anyway, the winter months where it's ah, I didn't catch the flu, nothing's going to happen now, and they're mm-hmm. almost correct. You know, it's late in the season; mm-hmm. they're not going to catch anything. But that doesn't mm-hmm. work the same way with COVID nineteen. It's not seasonal. Right. Right. And the thing that's, I think, you know, everybody was speculating at the beginning because we've never had a coronavirus pandemic before, so we didn't really know what to expect. People were expecting that it would diminish over the summer because of the high temperatures and increased humidity because it likes cooler temperatures and low humidity. And so there's some speculation that the real big outburst that you see in the southern part of the U.S., so going from southern California all the way across, is because it is hot, it is humid, People are more indoors in air conditioning, which makes for cooler and drier environments, and that people are more clustered together. And, oh, my gosh, if that is the case and our cases are so uncontrolled now, then just imagine when it's winter and everybody in the entire United States, and for that matter, everywhere in the Northern Hemisphere, is in their houses, then this could explode even more than it is right now, which is deeply concerning to me. Yeah. And on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. Today, we are talking with Regina Phelps about COVID-19. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about the show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Regina Fels about COVID-19. Regina, so much information in that first segment. It was uh, incredible. Um, thank you very much. Can we talked about vaccines. How about therapeutics? Yeah, therapeutics is, is, is still an area where we're seeing uh, only just a couple of additions that have been added uh, to the arsenal. So uh, we have some immunoglobulin options that are available. If you're hospitalized, there's convalescent plasma. If you're hospitalized, uh, also, there's been a new drug uh, that's now a little bit uh, more widely available, remdesivir, which, of course, Gilead, that's for people that are hospitalized. Uh, it's in short supply, of course. It's, new, it's a new medication. It was originally created for Ebola and is now being used actually with about 30% improvement in patients in ICUs. Uh, and they're trying to manufacture more of that, so that's available. There's also a treatment which has been around for many, many years if you're hospitalized and on the ventilator called dexamethasone, which is a cortisone-based product that helps deal with the inflammation. So, unfortunately, there's no new therapeutics. Uh, remdesivir, they're looking at trying to, uh, in its next iteration, something that we could actually take at home, like a regular antiviral like Tamiflu. And so we probably will see news about that in the next maybe five or six months. I will say, though, that there are a lot of quirky and unusual treatments that are being uh, prescribed all over the place. So I'd advise your listeners to really look at things carefully. Uh, I just saw just recently some Houston physician that was talking about a very common treatment for asthma, uh, Plumacort, which is a cortisone-based treatment, uh, as being a, a drug that he had been curing people of uh, COVID-19. Uh, curing is a very big word. And when... When mm-hmm. queried, he was asked about, well, how many people have you, quote, cured? And he just said, oh, it just, it's been a lot. And so, <laughs> and he got tremendous news coverage in Houston and in the Texas market in particular. And so I use that as an example to say to your listeners is that when people start saying they've got a cure or they've got the perfect treatment for this illness and you're not seeing it any place, you should immediately start Googling those uh, said treatments and see who's talking about mm-hmm. them 
and any kind of credibility that can be associated with them because there are a lot of wacky ideas out there. And I think we have to be smart consumers because we don't want to risk our health nor the health of our family by people uh, having wild cures and, um, and um, you know, hopes of fixing us when, again, it's pretty, pretty uh, off, the, off the mark. It reminds me of uh, those old snake charmers and, uh, you know, traveling uh, doctors, you know, with their cures right. and stay in a town for one day and sell their bottle and head off to the next one, right? <laughs> yeah, because they had to leave before people knew it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, well that's, there's a lot of that going on now, so I, people just have to be aware. Yeah, I think everyone uh, should do that. But it's, it's got me thinking now, I've got a question about that. Is there a danger of more people actually heading in that direction because as we see numbers going up and up and up and, you know, mm-hmm. it could create panic, could we see more people heading in that direction towards these uh, quack, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, quack, um, you know, uh, medicines and treatments and things like that? Is oh, absolutely. And, I, and that's, a, that's a huge fear of mine is that people will, will begin to do things like that. And that's deeply concerning. And I think, uh, again, because now people with maybe not enough scientific background personally are, are reading all kinds of even, I mean, there's so many trials that you can read about right now online. And you start reading something about, oh, my gosh, I just read about, I read one just yesterday about a, uh, a gastrointestinal um, medication called Pepsid, which is for acid reflux. Being, uh, is being used as a trial to see if it would help minimize COVID symptoms. So you could see that somebody could read that and think, oh, my gosh, I need to go buy that, you know, even if they don't have those symptoms or they don't have that medical condition. And so all of a sudden now you've got people buying things that may not work for, that, for what they're buying it for and depriving it of people who actually need it medically. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of another side effect that you could have happen in this whole the whole situation. So it's, it's really dodgy. And then I, and I also wanted to say one more thing about therapeutics. I just read yesterday about a, a tragic event. There are people, young people, who are holding COVID parties. COVID yes. parties. So stop and think about that for a minute, Alex. You might have heard of those before when people had measles parties or something, and you have somebody who's sick with a disease, and you bring all the kids over so they can all get sick at the same time. Oh, yep, my gosh. I remember anyway, those. there was a guy... You've heard of that, right? So there was a yep. guy, a 30-year-old man with no, no medical pre-existing conditions who went to a COVID party, thought it was a lot of fun, and he died 10 days later. This is in Houston. It was widely talked about in the United States uh, in the last couple of days. So if your listeners are thinking about maybe going to be exposed to somebody is a good idea, think again. This disease is deadly. And I will also say that for people that have uh, a serious case of it, and they don't die. Okay, that's great. But people have very serious, lingering health issues from this. So, and that is not just people that are older or with pre-existing conditions. So, it's something not to get um, if you can avoid it. Yeah, I, I remember those uh, kind of parties. I, I think I, I think it was my mom who told me one about that years and years ago. That that used mm-hmm. to happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they're, they're back in, apparently. You know, and, and maybe it's the, uh, uh, what do you call it, like the arrogance of youth who think they're, you know, impervious to any kind of uh, diseases. You know, they're young, they're strong. Mm-hmm. You know. well, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's a lot of that where people think, you know, I, I can't get sick. I'm, I'm 30, I'm 25, I'm healthy, I'm, you know, I'm strong, I work out. 
But, you know, you don't know why you might be affected and I may not, right? We could be in the same event, exposed to the same person, have no pre-existing conditions, be young and healthy, and for some reason I get the short straw and you don't. It's it's really, in many ways, a crap shop. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on to something uh, a little bit different. Um, let's talk about yeah. summer vacations. We're talking in uh, mid mid July right now, so for many, you know, mm-hmm. we're in summer vacations. What kind of things should we be thinking about uh, to stay safe? You know, with summer camps and going to cottages or you know road trips and you know all kinds of things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's a really great question. You know, what I think is amazing is that Disney World in Florida is still open, which is, uh, so first of all, I would say to your listeners, I would not advocate personally that uh, you do any kind of big trip that exposes you to a lot of risk. So first of all, I think summer a summer getaway would be great. I don't know about you, Alex, but my mental health is a little some days uh, up and some days down based on all of this COVID stuff. Yeah, I, I think it, so. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it would be nice to have a change of pace or, or see something different or get out or experience a, a um, more normality if there is such a thing wearing a mask. But I think what people need to think about is safety first. So I would strongly discourage anybody from looking at going to events where there's a large number of people. So um, what kind of events would you want to be thinking about? Um, outdoors best, always. Outdoors best. Uh, distance from people. At all possible, wearing a mask, uh, and if you're outdoors, perhaps maybe you uh, you know think about the big popular trips that you're seeing people take now are all within probably 200 miles. I'm not sure how many kilometers that is, but as a, you know, people are are driving. They're not flying for the most part, and they're driving a safe and relatively short distance. So maybe what they're doing is they're going to uh, renting a cottage. Maybe they're going camping. So mm-hmm. it uh, it allows them to get out, be in nature, which is really good for your health and your soul, uh, and minimizing how much time they're interfacing with other people. I think there are things you have to consider if you're doing your driving vacation. And that would be the one I would really encourage people to really think about more than anything else because you're going to be able to get out, see things, and experience stuff. But but there are, there are risks there as well. So think about how far you're going to go, how many times you might have to stop for gas, what are the bathrooms you're going to have to be thinking about? Because remember, bathrooms are not necessarily a safe place. So between where you leave your house and where you get to your camping site or your cottage or to wherever your experience is going to be, think about the number of times that you need to stop and really try and minimize that as best as possible. Pack some lunch, some food. Try and maybe not drink too much. You don't have to go to a public bathroom unless you absolutely have to. And then think yeah. about where you're going to go. And when you I get know. there, what you want to do is <laughs> what? Go go ahead, go ahead. No, so and when you get there, what you want to do is you want to think about um, how can I minimize my um, contact with other folks, right? So, if you're going to go to a restaurant, ideal you'd ideal you'd find something with outdoor dining only, uh, safer, of course, where there's good air exchange and airflow. But you also want to make sure that you. Um, uh, I feel that this, it's a safe environment, that everybody in there has masks unless they're eating, that the staff have masks, that, you know, obviously there's a good set of protocols in place. Uh, shopping might be pretty limited, uh, and you want to exercise caution if you are going to go into shops, really looking at how many people might be there, because once you get indoors, that's when your risk begins to really increase. Make sure you always have hand sanitizer, plenty of extra masks, because if your mask gets wet, 
then uh, that means it's less effective. So thinking about those kinds of activities, I, I would probably not suggest things like movies or indoor amusement at all, um, and really think about things outdoors. Mm-hmm. I know uh, from part of my own story, uh, going to the cottage, um, we're, we talk with our neighbors all the time. We see them, but we're, you know, we're yelling at each other, you know, a hundred feet away through the trees, you know, or we're all mm-hmm. on our docks and, you know, we can all see each other. We're all swimming, but we're all swimming in our own little areas, you know, no contact, mm-hmm. but, you know, we're actually getting social contact yet still right, social right. distancing, you know. Right. Now, see, that's, so, that's very safe. Yeah, and and uh, therapeutic, right? That's good for you to be out and see your, see your other uh, colleagues and neighbors and friends of yours um, with distance. Yeah. So I think that's an important thing that people need to think about is, uh, again, short vacations, short distance, minimizing going to public locations to the best of your ability, uh, and, and trying to get connection with other people, which, of course, uh, for all of us is super, super important. Um, you know, the other, at least the summer camp, which I think is a big concern because many parents, of course, love to send their kids to camp. Kids, kids love to go. And like this year, I'm sure they'd really love to go just to get out. But again, yeah. that has a lot of concerns, right? Um, you have people that are commingling with pods of people that they've never been with before or haven't been with them for a while. And, and so it really has to be carefully thought out. Many summer camps are looking at dividing kids into pods, if you will, you know, like team A, B, and C and, Team A never interfaces with anybody else, so that minimizes how diseases would spread. Uh, overnight camps could be kind of, uh, I would be really cautious about that because you've got kids sleeping in, you know, in bunk beds or whatever. I wouldn't advocate that. But a day camp where kids can get out, uh, there's good hygiene, good social distancing, kids are wearing masks, lots of hand, hand cleaning, uh, and outdoor activities, that's the key word, outdoor activities for anything that you'd be having enrolling your kid in during the course of the summer. If it's an art class, they need to be teaching it outside uh, because you're really minimizing transmission. And you want to just uh, ask very carefully any, any kind of camp or activity you're going to enroll your kid in this summer, ask them about what their safety protocols are, and really do not be afraid about sticking your head in to make sure that it looks exactly as they described. Uh, uh, just a couple of quick points uh, at the end of this this um, segment here. Uh, you mentioned going into stores. Uh, almost all the stores that I've been into now have arrows on the floor that traffic has to flow mm-hmm. in one direction. Mm-hmm. If you come up across someone looking at a shelf, you wait till they're done and move on. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that's what uh, that's I, that's I've good. seen in many stores here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, with, with no... Yeah, with with day camps, there aren't any here. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're all canceled. There's a few for here in summer. California, but not many. Because again, how can you make? The, I mean, they have to be truly 100 percent outdoors for them to be safe. Right. Yep. Exactly. And on that, we've come to the end of our second segment today. We are talking with Regina Phelps uh, about COVID nineteen. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? 
It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps about COVID-19. Uh, Regina, I got a question for you. Um, it came from the uh, WHO regarding in indoor transmissions. Can you uh, yeah. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, I think that the term indoor transmission is kind of a confusing t- uh, term because, of course, uh, everybody's, well, why am I wearing a mask if, indeed, uh, we are, don't we already know that there's indoor transmission? And so it's important to understand that there's really two ways that the virus is spread through the air. There's what's called droplet spread, which is why we wear a mask in particular. Uh, what that does is that it prevents us from inhaling these large droplets. If you cough or sneeze or sing uh, or yell, uh, you're going to have a lot of droplets that can come out of your mouth. And those are droplets that you can actually visually see. 
And that's one of the primary uh, reasons where we're all wearing a mask. But this idea of airborne transmission, which um, is what the WHO is talking about, there was a very recently, uh, last week, just about 239 scientists who issued a letter to the WHO saying, come on, you've got to agree that this is a form of transmission. And there have been documented cases of people actually in restaurants, in office spaces, in different countries, where people have actually gotten the illness in being in a large room, uh, separated with physical distancing, but there was poor airflow, and so there was stagnant air. And so there is a, a lot of research that says now that this realization, which means you just breathing, talking, breathing, uh, there's all these fine particles of uh, moisture that come out of your mouth when you're doing that right now. And when that's happening, it's all accumulating in, in an indoor space. So this goes back to the importance of ventilation in offices, ventilation in schools, and how we can protect ourselves. Now, this is, this is a disturbing um, trend because what this means is that if you're in an indoor space in the winter, I mean, think of Ottawa and how cold it is in the winter, you're going to have people in all kinds of environments where the ventilation flow in that space is going to be critical. Mm -hmm. And that means that there's adequate air exchange through the uh, heating, ventilation, air conditioning systems. There's adequate filtration that's going to be removing these particles. And so that puts tremendous pressure upon businesses and other areas, schools, colleges, that you're going to bring people into a classroom, let's say, or bring them into an office building, but if there's not adequate air exchange, that stagnant air, if you will, could create very unsafe conditions where there's a high potential that then the disease could be transmitted. There's still a lot of studies that are going on now about this very issue to know exactly what that all means, like how much air, how much would you have to move, all of that stuff. But this is now um, an important new discovery in this illness and how it's spread, which impacts things like office openings, going back to school, and especially as we get into the winter months, we're going to be in smaller rooms. Uh, if you have several people in that room, if they're not wearing a mask, and you, but yet they're socially distanced, there's still a potential that we could be infecting somebody 20 feet away. That's well, that's, that's part of the problems with the schools, isn't it? About putting all yeah, it's going to be a room. huge problem. It's going to be a huge problem with schools. Uh, and here in the United States, um, President Trump just recently threatened last week that you know he was shaking his finger at the schools, saying you have to open in the fall. But what yet what you're seeing across the United States is that many school districts, especially in areas that are on fire right now, are saying we're not opening. Uh, we're going to do virtual instruction, and when it gets better, we'll probably do partial instruction in the classroom and partial virtual instruction. And I think what, what, what um, there's many things to talk about with, related to this, but I think the first thing that any parent needs to understand is there's no guarantee. They can't guarantee that they're going to make that school environment 100% safe. There is no way to do that. So there's always going to be risk sending your kids back to school. If it's, you know, there's, uh, just think of all the places, especially with the younger kids, all the bathrooms, all the different surface areas that are going to be touched, how kids don't uh, necessarily physically distance very easily, of course, wearing a mask. Very complicated. But then, to be honest with you, Alex, there's a whole other complicating factor besides the health and well-being of the children, and that is of kids. Um, here in the United States, there's a kind of a, st a chilling statistic about the age of teachers 
59% of all public school teachers in the United States are over the age of 40, and 57% of all the private school teachers are over the age of 40. And, of course, we know as one gets older that you have a greater risk of infection. So many teachers, uh, those that are uh, nearing retirement age, 10% of the, of the U.S. teachers across the board in the United States have said they're not coming back next year if they have to teach in a classroom. So just think about wow. that loss of the number of skilled teachers. And there are a lot of teachers, of course, that may have comorbidities, such as high blood pressure, diabetes, or other things that could put them at risk. Mm-hmm. And so those individuals may elect not to come back. So we have kind of a confluence of, of, of really important issues to consider, not just the health of the kids, but the teachers. And then, of course, there's the whole issue of, you know, can the, can the online teaching be sufficient enough to keep kids progressing? Uh, there's a lot of schools where kids didn't learn very well last year here in, in the United States. And, you know, that's a huge societal yeah. loss, right? Yeah. Same so thing happened from here. From a perspective of, is this, in Canada, so tell me about in Canada. Do you have, are you guys doing online education there? What's happening yes. to you? Yeah, there was a lot of, uh, I think it was sometime in March, almost everybody was online. And um, the school year finished, I guess it would only be about two, three weeks ago. Um, but everybody mm-hmm. finished online. And now the mm-hmm. the same conversation is happening here. Should we open, in, <clears throat> excuse me, should we open in September? And it looks like the majority is no, they're not going to be opening mm-hmm. in September mm-hmm. for some of the points you just brought forward. Yeah. And I think the, the, the thing that's really, of course, difficult is that kids, I mean, kids go to school for a lot of reasons, not just to, um, to learn, right? There's socialization. There's many important skills that children learn in interfacing with each other, other adults, mm-hmm. and so on. And then also here in the United States, there's issues of food insecurity where kids, that's where they get some of their main meals, right? And I mean, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues. So. Uh, everybody wants kids in schools, but that doesn't mean wanting them is going to make it happen. And so I think, and, and then, of course, uh, people working at home, right? So now they're taking care of their kids, they're working at home. It's, it's complicated. But I, I think that, that, that it, it, parents are really going to have to look deep um, about how they can really work with their children in, in this remote learning situation. Because I, I don't know about you, Alex, but I will be shocked here in North America if uh, most schools don't open at all and it's going to be remote learning until the spring. And maybe there's a little bit of in-class in learning, but I don't think it's personally it's going to be much. I, I tend to think that too. I look at what my uh, three young nieces are going through, you know, 10 and nine mm-hmm. and, you know, everything is online learning and the only time they actually met as a class, which goes to some of your socialization, there was a meeting mm-hmm. on the last day where all the class uh, dialed into a WebEx or Zoom meeting or something like that. And that was the only time they got to see each other, you know, and it was, yeah, it, it's so got to be tough huh? for them. Yeah, so hard. You know, and the other thing I would say to you, Alex, is that if schools don't open, which I think we should just overarchingly believe that that's going to be the case, that it's going to impact work, right? So people working yeah. from home. Uh, and, and so I think employers, especially if they have a large uh, work-from-home population, I think what they're going to need to think about is, okay, what can I do to either allow my, um, my uh, employees to flex their time? So let's say you have a job that's 8 to 4. Uh, well, you know, maybe what you need to do is, is if that job, if, you, if that employer can work in, in the evening, 
or do that work on the weekends or do it hodgepodge during the day, that the idea is they should focus on making sure that that, that, a, that parent is going to be able to, to educate their kids because that's what they're going to be doing as well as get their mm-hmm. work done, but to do it in a way that, that is not making that parent pull out all their hair by saying you've got to be at your desk or you've got to be on Zoom and on all these meetings during, you know, the 8 to 4 time frame. So I think it's going to require flexibility on the part of the uh, managers and instructors um, and, and different institutions so that uh, people can actually try and do both with a little better uh, effort than they did in the, in, the, in the spring of this last year. So I think there's going to be some important communication that's going to need to happen between employers and their employees for those people with kids and allow them to do this work on the weekend, work at night. You know, the idea is it's not so much how much, what time you're working, to be honest with you. It's the fact that you're getting the work done. It should be focused on the deliverables and not focused on the punching of the clock, so to speak. Yeah, that'll be some interesting conversations, especially for um, like single fathers and single mothers. You know, who oh may gosh, have yeah. one or more children. You know, uh, how are they going to yeah. manage that? There has to be flexibility yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, there does. And employers, I think, need to really own that and step up. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that would be uh, an interesting uh, topic for us to start on uh, next month. Because um, yeah, I know we were going to talk great. about that today, but we just barely scratched the surface on that one. So yep, yep, we, do, yep, yep. we do only have about two minutes left. Do you have any final uh, comments uh, for a minute uh, th- for this month? Well, thank you, Alex. I appreciate that. What I would just say, uh, listeners, is to uh, really think about uh, going forward with a lot of creativity. First of all, a lot, and a lot of kindness. Kindness for yourself and for your family and for all of those around you. We need to all be in this together. Uh, and we need to, to band together six feet apart with a mask on. But I think that's how we're going to get through this. So uh, using creativity to try and do things differently and in a new way. And always remember that we need to have kindness in our heart as we go forward and trying to deal with this. Yeah, I think think there will be another change down the road, too, with uh, society hopefully having a greater level of compassion and understanding for others. And that me mentality hopefully should uh, dissipate a little bit. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end again of a, another great show. Regina, it's always uh, great to chat with you about COVID or anything uh, related. So I really appreciate your time and expertise once again. You're welcome, Alex. I appreciate you very much. And again, as always, thank you for the invitation. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, we will be chatting again uh, in three, four weeks uh, for next month's show. <laughs> so I'm sure who knows what could happen uh, in that time frame. <laughs> I'm sure, it's, I'm sure you know, whatever we've said last month or this month will probably be completely different next month. So That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. So thank you once again. And uh, to everyone listening, if there's a topic you want to talk about, please feel free. Let me know or uh, advertising. Um, I can send you some information on that. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.